0: My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Every now and then, I well, every now and then, somebody will find our podcast, Madison's Musings, and my my, um, numbers shoot through the roof. Usually we see about 22 people listen a week, which is a good number for a church our size. This week, 83 listens. So somebody has found it, and then they've listened through a whole bunch in the week and told their friends about it. Now, if that happened to you, you're allowed to come visit the church, unless, of course, you're in Ireland, and then we'd love to come and visit you. But I want you to know that the taping of the sermons is having a difference. We just crossed 3,500 listens since we started. We're, we're uh, at about 1,000 a year, which is pretty cool, in 20 different countries. So tell your friends, and I tell my friends, it's usually 18 to 22 minutes, which is the average of a commute. You can pick up the message and listen on your way to work, and start off hopefully with a smile. So today I have a question for you. Who are you? Don't answer yet. This week I had to do some doctor's visits. And when I go to the doctors, I have to answer to the name Alvin. Nowhere in the world, not even in my mother's house, does anybody call me Alvin except at the doctor's office. That's a little bit annoying. Everybody else in my entire life calls me Doc. That's my nickname. So are you your name or are are you your nickname? Well, let's go back to the name. Maybe your name is Daniel, but everybody calls you... Danny, or James, or Jim, or Bob, or and how in the world did um, the nickname for John become Jack? <laughs> Have you met anybody whose name is John and they call him Jack? How did that happen? But are you your name? Are you your nickname? Are you your surname? I taught my kids from an early, early age, you're a Madison, and you're gonna make Madisons proud. You, you represent our entire family. Are you your surname or your Christian name or your prefix? I'm very proud of the fact that I earned my PhD. And I I shudder a little bit when somebody says, this is Mr. Madison. No, I earned that. I'm Dr. Madison. And if you want to be really official, I'm the Reverend Dr. Madison. I've been ordained for 38 years. Is it what goes in front of your name that says who you are? or Is it what goes behind your name? Because our friend just isn't Danny. He's Danny Elmore Esquire. He worked hard for that. He went to school for that. Are you your prefix or your suffix or better yet are you your hyphen? Vicky and I could have joined in marriage and become I would be Doc Smith Madison, right? No, Atkinson Madison. No. Your name was Smith when you married me. That's true. Yes, but that's the name you brought into the marriage. <laughs> then guess what? Then Vicky and I have to fight over what the hyphen is. <laughs> right? Um, our family tradition is that the oldest son is named Benjamin and he gets the mother's maiden name. So my son is Benjamin Brandt Madison, my father was Benjamin Larkin Madison, except the next generation she said, No, we are not naming him Benjamin Hutchinson Madison. That's too many itzitsons in the name. Who are you? Are you your job? Are you a lawyer? Are you a doctor? Are you a mechanic? Are you a surveyor? Are you an economist? Are you a nurse? Are you a missionary? Are you your job? Are you your skill? Madison, Madison, oh, that's the preacher who sings. Are you a carpenter? Are you your possessions? Oh, that's the guy that drives the great Mustang. Are you your looks? Oh, that's the short fellow, that's the tall fellow, that's the guy that needs double doors. Are you the way you look? That's the redhead, that's the blonde. Oh, that's the one with the pretty green eyes. Are you your education? Now in the old days, when I was a kid, you put all of your degrees behind your name. You remember that? They'd have somebody's name and then they they called it alphabet soup. Well, when I'm done my next degree, and hopefully that's my last one. I would be the Reverend Dr. A.E. Madison, B.M., M. Div. M.A., Ph.D., T.H.D. My letters would be longer than my name. Are you your education? Are you where you live? Have you ever seen the water tower over in Voorhees? Voorhees, the success address. It says it right on their water tower. People pay extra money to get a mailbox, one of those uh, little mailboxes at the post office at Haddonfield, because they want to have a Haddonfield address. Are you your address? Think about this. Are you your role in the family? Is anybody's head spinning yet? Are you a dad? Are you a granddad? Are you a son? Are you an uncle, an aunt, a sister, a mother, a great-grandmother? Who are you? Let's have even more fun. You could go across the street, you'd be a Catholic. You could go to the next door, you'd be a Unitarian. You could be me, I'm a misplaced Methodist serving a Baptist church. Are you Episcopal? Are you non denominational? What? what are you? I made a list here. You could be UMC, ABC, AOG, UPC. Who are you? And on this day in our scripture, Jesus has to answer that question. He is no longer going to be a carpenter, an artisan from Nazareth. This day, he's stepping out of anonymity into the spotlight. Because guess what? Nobody else that went into the river with John, did John say, I'm not baptizing you. Everybody who went into that river was a sinner and needed a baptism of forgiveness. Whoosh! Jesus didn't need a baptism of forgiveness. John really needed Jesus to baptize him. Jesus goes from being a carpenter to being, and now it's in John's gospel where he says, John the Apostle's gospel, not John the Baptist, he says, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which is still part of the liturgical mass. In Latin, that's agnus dei pecolis Mundi. I can't tell you how many times I've sung that. But Jesus goes from being just a regular guy to being the sacrifice for the whole world. Now, who was this Jesus walking through the crowd to be baptized by John? Well, some people might remember the stories. Do you remember? There was those angels we heard about and the shepherds and the manger. Now, we know that that happened because it was last week when the wise men showed up Remember those wise men? And remember some of the scholars last week, there could have been 50 of them. That'd be something we'd talk about if 50 guys in royal robes and camels went to give a little child frankincense golden myrrh. We'd talk about that, yes? Well, so would they. Or was he that kid, you know, that kid talks funny, he went to Egypt. Remember, he went to Egypt when he was between one and two years old. He learned Egyptian. We never talk about this, but he had to. He grew up in Egypt, and he learned Aramaic, and he probably had to learn some Latin because that was the lingua franca. He had to do Latin to do business with the Romans. You ever think about it? Jesus was trilingual. He was what they call a polyglot, but he might have had a funny accent. He was, and I'm going to say this, don't get mad at me, He was the illegitimate son of Mary and Joseph. We've talked about that. That's why he was called Jesus of Nazareth. So think of it. All of these people in one person are walking through the crowd. He could just be that artisan, that carpenter from Nazareth. Or he could be just known as, he's the cousin of the crazy guy in the water, wearing the camel hair and eating locusts and honey. But at the moment he stepped into the water, and the moment that John the Baptist submerged him, now i got to tell you something. My Baptist Greek professor, I want you to hear this, said that in Jesus' time, the Jordan River really only had two speeds. It had a trickle or a flood. And there was probably during the trickle time that they baptized, and there was not enough water to submerge. I just want you to know that. I still believe in submerging, but there was probably not a lot, and that he had a cup or a ladle or something, and he was pouring it over top. And this is what he said if they did it during the flood time, they baptize you at Bethlehem and you wake up in the Dead Sea. <laughs> That's how fast the water would be going. But whether it was knee high or waist high, or one scholar said that they must have cut out a little like pool and fill that with the water from the, and we don't know how it happened but Jesus wades in the water and he meets John the Baptist and John says I love it he, Jesus says we have to do this because it's the righteous thing to do Jesus just demonstrated for us that he was resolving to do the will of God now some people and and I I'm not one of them but some people wonder, and they, scholars and theologians think about this, when exactly did Jesus become a, a fully aware of God's plan? That would be an awful burden to put on a six- or a seven-year-old. It would be a challenging burden to put on that little 13-year-old answering, answering and asking questions in the temple. Could it have been at this moment when the voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased and the spirit descends like a dove, it could be this moment. That's why we talked about in the children's sermon, what are those moments where you stop and they change the direction of your life? Marriages, baptisms, confirmations, graduations, ordinations. This was a moment that changed Jesus' life. Was it then that Jesus knew who he was? Was it in a time of prayer and contemplation? I can't talk. Contemplation? Was it in the temple as a young boy? Was it in the stories that his mother told and shared from her pondering heart? The Jesus that stood before John in the Jordan was embarking on a new adventure and announcing a new direction. And hear this, starting a new ministry. His ministry only had three points at this time. He was resolving to please God. He was teaching us to be obedient. He was resolving to look for road signs of righteousness. And he was resolving to bear the cross. Even if he was not fully aware, and the scholars haven't figured out when, and if you want to ask when you get to heaven, Put that right under the belly button question. You know, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? God will answer that. Well, when was Jesus fully aware of his role in salvation? Was it at this moment? Now, I want you to hear this because we take baptism very seriously in this Baptist church. And when you become a believer, this is the moment that we recommend that you get baptized and join the church and and make that stand in front of your family and friends and everybody. But you know what? The day after you're baptized, you look exactly the same as the day before you got baptized. So I was speaking to a group of teenagers at a Christian endeavor camp, and we were trying to convince them that the life you live is as important as the the baptism or the confirmation you experience. That you can't just get in the baptismal font get all wet and then your life is the same. It has to be different. Jesus' life at this point became remarkably different. So I I used to have an alb. That's the big white robe that the Lutherans wear with the rope around the middle. I looked a bit like a monk. And I came in to preach the sermon in the alb. And I said, you know what? We're We're going to start demanding that when you make a decision for Christ, everybody wear one of these every day. And all the kids went like, what? I said, okay, okay. So I took the alb off and I had this big six-inch wooden cross my dad made for me. I said, okay, well now when you make a decision for Christ, you have to wear this cross around. The kid's like, no. And then I had a three-inch cross and then I had a little cross earrings. I said, you have to let people know by the way you live that you have met Jesus and your life is different. Jesus at this point said to the entire world, I am God's son and my life is going to be different. I have a friend who's a hospital chaplain and she's a Mennonite, Catherine Longnecker. That's a good Mennonite name. And she said one of the scariest moments in her life was the morning after she gave her life to Christ. And we all looked at her like, what? How could that be scary? Well, if you know, Mennonite women, when they make a decision for Christ, have to wear the bonnet. They don't have to wear the bonnet until they make a decision for Christ. And in her day, the mother crocheted your bonnet. So her mother had made this bonnet and was holding on to it until that moment that Catherine gave her heart to Christ. And she came down to breakfast and get was laying on her breakfast plate. The bonnet. And then she realized, I'm going to have to put this on and go to school. And everybody at school is going to know by my bonnet that I have to be a different person. And she says, honestly, I'm not sure that I was quite ready to share that decision with the world. When I was a young pastor, I used to say there was two people I didn't want to live next to, a Muslim and a socially active atheist. Now, why not a Muslim? They pre, pre, pray five times a day. Vocally, they find out which way is Mecca. When I was a chaplain at the mall ministry, these two young men came running and they said, Chaplain, can you help us? I said, what? They said, can we use your office? It's time to pray. I said, sure. They went in my office. They said, they came out. They said, which way's east? (laughs) So then we, we, you know, highway, Whitehorse Pike, and we figured out which way was east, and they ran back in to pray. Can you imagine a Christian running into someplace and going, it's time to pray. Can I use your office? We don't do stuff like that. I would be a little bit intimidated when I was a younger man to live next to a Muslim because their their faith is so active, sometimes it makes us look like we're standing still. Now, the other one is a socially active atheist. I met one of these once. He was a trainer at the gym, and this guy made sandwiches and took blankets to the poor, and he He was on a running team that would run to raise money for different charities. He was 10 times more active in serving the community than just about any Christian I know. And I told him, I said, Tom, I don't want to live next door to you. You make me look bad. Well, why does he make us look bad? Because maybe when we hit that point of life change, we really didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Have you heard of Ivan the Great? Ivan the Great was uniting all of Russia, and he wanted to to reach out in, in diplomacy, and he agreed to marry the princess of the king of Greece. True story. So Ivan the Great takes his 500 personal guard, and they go down to Greece to marry the princess. The king of Greece says, you can marry the princess, but not unless you're Greek Orthodox. Ivan says, well, what does that mean? He says, you got to get baptized. Ivan says, sure. Well, his loyal 500 soldiers said, well, if you're going to get baptized, we're going to get baptized too. Now, imagine this picture. 500 guys and 500 Greek Orthodox priests standing by a river. They're all going to get baptized. And somebody goes, stop, stop. Why? Why? Once you get baptized in the Greek Orthodox Church, you're no longer allowed to be a professional soldier. Well, that's what all these guys are. So they stop and they have a meeting and a theological discussion. And what do we do? And this is what they did. They baptized all of them with their sword arm out of the water. Sorry with their sword arm out of the water, so everything got baptized except the military part of them. So their arm could still be a soldier, even though they were part of the Greek Orthodox Church. Now, we're all rolling our eyes at Ivan the Great, but think about it. Many of us have unbaptized parts of our lives. God, we say, will give you this part, but we're not going to give you that part. We're not gonna let that part get washed in the blood, uh, purified, sanctified, glorified. We're gonna keep that part to ourselves. See, the question is not, are you baptized? The question is, are you living the life that Christ has called you to live? What part of you and what part of me is unbaptized? So you know, I, I love a good Peanuts cartoon. And I saw one the other day, Lucy is walking down the road with Charlie Brown and Charlie Brown says, Lucy, are you gonna make any new year's resolutions? Lucy hollers back and can you imagine the picture? I mean, her mouth is this big as she screams at Charlie Brown. What, what for? What's wrong with me now? I like myself the way I am. Why should I change? What in the world is the matter with you, Charlie Brown? I'm all right the way I am. I don't have to approve. How could I approve? Ask me, how, how, how could I approve? Poor Charlie Brown just stands and endures the hailstorm that is Lucy. But that's how some people approach it. Have you ever talked to somebody who's not a believer and they keep trying to convince you that they're good enough to get into heaven. And you hear this a lot from me. My Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God is not a condemning God. I love John 3, 17. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. That wasn't the purpose. But that the world might be saved through him. That's what we learn on this baptism Sunday. That's what we learn on the day that Jesus was baptized. In my counseling practice, I use three questions. I teach my my patients this. Three questions to figure out what their role might be in an event or an activity. Because sometimes we get wrapped up in the stuff that we don't need to be wrapped up in. The first question is this. What is the issue or event? Well, right now, the issue for us and for Jesus is, are you baptized? Are you stepping into the faith? Are you making a public statement? that you belong to God. The second question is this, whose responsibility is it? Now, that's an interesting question. For us in Jesus, and we're, we practice believer's baptism, the responsibility is ours because we have to physically choose to step into baptism. Now, for our friends across the street and, and down the street, they practice infant baptism. The responsibility is on the parents because I've never met a six-month-old or a two-month-old who says, oh, I believe in Jesus, please baptize me. In fact, I love the meme of the little kid, and he's on the phone, and he says, Grandma, I was at church today, and they tried to drown me, and Mom took pictures. <laughs> but it is voluntary on somebody's part, either the parents or the believers. Somebody is saying, We're embarking on a journey. The third thing is this. Do I need to change? For us in Jesus, the answer is yes. For us, we're changing our hearts and our lives and our actions. And for Jesus, he was beginning to build the kingdom instead of building tables and chairs. So I started off by asking, who are you? Today, I hope you can say, I am a baptized believer. Then I have to ask this question. Do you live like one? If not, guess what? Our faith affords you the opportunity to have a new beginning every day. You could start today and say, I want to change the way I live. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. I want to change the things that are taking up my time so that I can have more time to do the things that are important. Here's a tough one. If you're a baptized believer, do you give like one? Now, in the Methodist, and I'm sorry, in the Methodist confirmation, they say, do you promise to support the chairs, support the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? And the young men and women have to say yes to that. Now, I have a friend who says, no, 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 you have to give your prayers, your presents, and your pesos. But do you give like a baptized believer. You say, well, where do you get that, Doc? Well, I love that old hymn, Jesus Paid It All. Well, how did he pay it all? He gave his entire life for us. Do you want to be a part of the family of God? Do you want to be a member of this family? family, this body, this service organization, we are all of the above. Well, on the 12th of February, we're going to be doing two things. We're going to be baptizing at least one person who's already volunteered. He said, I've given my heart to Christ, I want to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, we're going to open that to you. And if you, are, if you want to be a member of this church, we'll be accepting people by profession of faith. I want to be clear. Theologically, the Bible says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So if you were baptized at another church, even like this, we recognize that. We are not Anabaptists. Anabaptists, that's the word in the Greek for again. They actually baptize babies and they baptize you as a believer. They want to make sure they don't miss either end. We recognize your baptism We recognize your profession of faith, and if you want to join the church by profession of faith, we're going to do that on the 12th as well. As always, our our front pew is open during the last hymn. If you want to come down and talk about what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a baptized believer, or what it means to be a member of this church, our deacons and our pastors would love the opportunity to pray with you. Amen.